Compliance Technologies. Uh, this company was made by uh, Jeff Nicholas. Uh, he's a uh, retired Army helicopter pilot. Uh, kind of famous. Uh, you see the movie Black Hawk Down? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second helicopter. Okay. Super 6-4. He was the pilot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're all veterans, uh, veterans and retired police officers, current police officers uh, that work for Compliant Technologies. Uh, he put his bunch of, I mean, he doesn't have to. He could literally retire and you know, stay in Kentucky on his ranch and do his thing, right? But he spent a ton of money, I don't know how much, but a ton to develop this technology in the glove and put it together. Uh, so uh, what he has done it for is not to make millions because really the margin's pretty slim on what what these cost to make and what we sell them for. Uh, and uh, he did it to help law enforcement. It's, it's about helping law enforcement, helping that guy in South Carolina, right? Would these gloves have made a difference? Maybe. Maybe they would have. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. Uh, it depends. You know, we can't, you know, you Monday morning quarterback anything and, you know, oh, I could have done it better this way, but we're not going to do that. Uh, but these gloves have made a difference in a lot of lives, in a lot of agencies. Uh, there are agencies that, uh, uh, well, actually, there's a hospital. I believe it's, um, what's the city? South Carolina. I forget the name of the city. It's a mental health hospital. They have private security. Uh, and it was... Uh, they're losing guys because it's a fight every day. They go in there and they fight people all day long. Imagine doing that as a security guard, right? You, how long would you do it? It would get old no matter who yeah, you are. Yeah, a couple just, of weeks and you're, you're out. You're looking yeah. for another job, right? So we introduced our glove. Uh, they had, I think, four activations total, and there's no more fights. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder in military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also gonna have guests who are gonna talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. guest this week is Roger Owen. Roger was raised in Montana and he always knew he wanted to be a cop. So after high school, he enlisted in the Marine Corps. Well, he made a pit stop at the Army first, but I'll let him explain that one. He served four years and got out in 1995. What he also realized was his weather in Southern California was a lot better than Montana. So he decided to stay and he started his law enforcement career with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. After 10 years though, he transferred to the Riverside County Sheriff's Department where he eventually retired in 2021. Also in 95, Roger started training jiu-jitsu, and this became the backbone of his career in the sense that he was involved in use of force and defensive tactics instruction. Today, Roger is the West Coast representative for Compliant Technologies. It's a company founded by an Army veteran wanting to give back to the law enforcement community. Their newest product is the Generated Low Output Voltage Emitter. Not only does it have the acronym GLOVE, but it is actually a glove that's a use of force tool. Again, I'll let Roger explain more about that. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 60. Before we go forward, let's go backwards. Where'd you grow up? Kalispell, Montana. Okay. 80 miles from the Canadian border. Everybody's moving there now. What brought you yeah. to California? Marine Corps. Oh, okay. And then uh, job, of course. You know, I got hired by uh, LA County Sheriffs and stayed. So from Montana, uh, big family, small family? Big yeah, just me and my brother, uh, immediate family, but lots and lots of aunts and uncles, both sides. So a lot of generation in Montana. Right. See yourself going back? Moving back? No. 
a little too warm there for you? It's cold, it's cold really cold <laughs> in the wintertime. If you've been there when it snows or you, you ever been in the snow, but it's really fun to visit for a day or two or maybe a week. But, and then it's uh, fun to leave. Yeah, then you really want about a week and you're like, ah, I'm done. I want to leave. What was uh, life like for you as a young kid? Uh, it was fun. And we, uh, my, my dad always, uh, my, my, my mom and dad always had us out doing something. Um, we, uh, every weekend we were, we were fishing, uh, we were driving somewhere. We were, uh, we were at the lake water skiing. We we're at the lake swimming. We were, we were somewhere doing something. As a kid, did you have in, well, when did the military hit your radar? Ah, probably probably 14, 15 years old, something like that. Did you have that in your family? A, 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 a little bit, yeah. So I have an, I have an aunt who was in the uh, Army, an uncle who's in the Army, two uncles in the Army. Uh, my grandf- grandfather was in the Army. My dad was not. Uh, he just missed Vietnam just by just a couple of years, and, and, uh, and he had children as well. So even when he became 18, I think... Uh, they still, because he had kids already, they, they, he didn't get drafted. Uh, but, uh, I guess for me growing up in Montana, you know, there isn't, there isn't the, uh, the opportunities that, that you, you have here. There's a lot more opportunity here, right? Because there's so much industry and all that in Montana, you know, there's logging (laughs) snow, (laughs) snow, (laughs) but that's only, that's only three quarters of the year, the snow part. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have, uh, you know, the tourism, which is mostly summertime, unless you do something in the snow. Uh, there's two ski resorts. You can work there. But again, seasonal stuff, even logging. Uh, they don't log in the, the wintertime. You know, that's it's seasonal. Did your did your mom and dad grow up in Montana also? They did. What yeah. what was the lineage of their family? What was the family so, business? <clears throat> so my dad was the milkman. Literally, he was. Uh, and they were, my mom and dad were married. My mom married the milkman. It wasn't the milkman, right? <laughs> it wasn't that story. Or they had to get married because he, the, the milkman stopped by. Oh, I didn't, put, I didn't think about that one. <laughs> That's horrible. We shouldn't make fun. Uh, and, uh, my mom worked, uh, lots of service jobs, public service jobs, like, uh, uh, you know, waitress, uh, she ran a deli, ran, ran a few, few different businesses, uh, in the area. When you decided to, to join the military, was Marine Corps your first choice? No. Actually, I joined the army, joined the army recruiter. Recruiters are great people. Uh, he talked me into signing an open contract because I wanted to be military police. Oh, son, open contracts for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Sure. So I signed and I went to, went to boot camp uh, after my junior year of high school, uh, split entry program, right? You go, you do your senior year and then uh, you go back to your, uh, your MOS school. Uh, so I went to Fort Dix, did my army boot camp, uh, graduated uh, at the end, you know, you graduate and they congratulations, right? You're, you came in open contract and you're a tank mechanic. I said, Oh wow. I want to work on tanks. Come on. They lied to me. <laughs> what, what in the world? I'm sure you're the only one who's ever been lied it was, to. It was only me. Yes. At any rate, uh, I get home and, uh, my buddies came back from Marine, Marine Corps boot camp, And I was talking to my recruiter about this tank mechanic thing. And my buddies are in there and and uh, I said, hey, what are you guys? Oh, you know, and they're in their dress blues. So they look amazing. And here I got my greens, right? I look like a bus driver. <laughs> and the recruiter says, oh, hey, you just came back from boot camp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Conversation. He goes, so how do you like being a tank mechanic? And I said, what? How do you know? Because <laughs> that's what they need. And your recruiter got a bonus because you're a tank mechanic. You went open contract, didn't you? And I was like, gosh, dang. Are you kidding me? He said, uh, so what do you want to be? Well, military police. He goes, well, join the Marine Corps. I'll, I'll make you military police. He goes, this another one of those open contract things? <laughs> no, it wasn't. He, he actually signed me as military police. So, 
Did you end up having to go back through boot camp? I did. With the Marine Corps? I did. But yeah, I just went through Army boot camp, so it wasn't, wasn't that tough. Support from your family to go oh, to yeah. military? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so spent how many years in the Marine Corps? Four. Was there ever a point that you thought to make it longer? Yeah, actually. Uh, my last year, I was in Okinawa, Japan. Had a, <clears throat> uh, a great gunnery sergeant that I was working for. He was, uh, he was the, uh, enlisted man in charge of our PMO station and we had a brand new Lieutenant. And I think I was, I was older than the Lieutenant. Uh, so the, uh, the gunny or two corporals, me and another corporal, uh, we were in charge. Lieutenant had to ask us everything had to approve everything through us if gunny wasn't around. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, the Lieutenant, the gunny said, Hey man, you should probably, you should probably stay in the Marine Corps. No, no, I got plans. I'm going to be a cop. I'm getting out. I'm only here for the experience, for the age. I'm going to get out and become a cop. No, no, I think you need to stay in. You need to become an officer. I'm like, well, it's, I don't think that's for me. And they said, well, you're going to do it anyway. So I, I went <laughs> up for the boost board and I won. I won the Pacific Fleet. I was going to go to school at uh, UCLA. Now, what's the boost board? So boost is a program that takes enlisted officers and it extends your contract for six years. They send you to school. You get your degree in four years. You owe them an additional three years as, as an officer. So it's, it's, uh, it's a really good program. But I was denied. By headquarters Marine Corps. And why would it, the typically those programs are for minorities? Oh, okay. And I, I don't know if you noticed, not, I'm not a minority. You are not. No, you're not. Nope. <laughs> um, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact you came from Montana either. No. <laughs> <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> so you got out after four years. Yep, got out. But going in, your goal was law enforcement post military career. Yes, yes. And decided to stay in California, did not want to go back home to Montana. <clears throat> Long story. Um, I'll make it short. My ex-wife, who I went to high school with and was married uh, to during the Marine Corps, her family was actually from, uh, is from here in Southern California. Her mom and dad moved to Montana. Uh, so that's how I met her. Uh, so when I, when, uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I stayed here. And joined up with L.A. Sheriff's what year? L.A. Sheriff's, 1995. Class? 291. Okay, so you got 11 classes on me because I was class 280, so I'm a little older than you. Um, 10 years with the sheriff's, uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department. 10 years, yeah. What made you make, that's a, that, for people who haven't been in law enforcement, that's an awkward year to kind of make a jump. It is. Traditionally speaking. So, so I'm working patrol at Lakewood. We're on eight hour shifts. Uh, I was having fun. I liked what I was doing. I liked where I was working. I liked the people I worked with, but uh, I'd come home on my days off, you know, Tuesday and Thursday. Those are typically the days off I hadn't, you know, they're both court days. So if I actually didn't have court, uh, I was lucky enough to see my family and my young kids and uh, try and get to know them again because I was never there, right? It's a two-hour commute. Right. You, know, you, you uh, drive two hours to work. You work for eight hours. You write paper for two hours and you drive two hours home. There's not much of the day left. So I said, well, I probably need to move back down there because we used to live... And we used to actually live uh, just in Westminster, Huntington Beach border. So we were right close to work, but we moved to Lake Elsinore. So it became a two hour commute. I did that for like four years, I think. <clears throat> and uh, it just has with 98% of Southern yeah, California. You know, I, I, I think really what broke me was uh, I was working midnight to eight, 8 a.m. So write my paper, 10 a.m. I'm, I'm driving home. The sun's coming up in my eyes and I'm doing the. And, and it was, uh, it was like 2004, right? The housing was just booming out here. So there's 400 million, you know, construction trucks and construction guys trying to get to their job. And I'm sitting in traffic every day. Trying to remember the last seven exits. Cause you've basically <laughs> slept the whole way yeah, home. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
pulled in the driveway and you're like, oh, I'm here. How, how did this happen? <laughs> That's not good. And so what year did you join up with Riverside Sheriff? 2005. And then ultimately retired from from them from Riverside last August, almost a year ago. How's retirement life treating you? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, cause it's, you're not technically retired and we're going to get to that, but yeah. Uh, it, it's weird. I wasn't going to retire this soon. I was going to do a full 30. I was going to do four more years. That was my plan. That's what I'm going to do. I really liked, it. I was working in Idlewild. So you weren't, Idlewild, one of, you weren't one of the smart ones who bought back your four years of military no. time. No, no, not smart enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> tru- I, I didn't have that option. I didn't go in the military, but there's a lot of, a um, lot of us who sit there and go, why didn't I do it 20 yeah. years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody just didn't sit down with me and explain it to me. I didn't, I didn't know. And by the time I figured it out, I'm like, man, it's going to cost me like $200,000. Like, is that really worth it? I don't know. I think at that point, probably, I mean, maybe if I live long enough, right. If I live 30 years past retirement and yeah, that 200,000 might, might work out. But if I don't, it's a huge gamble, 200,000 bucks gone. Right. And I've got three kids and a house and a wife and I got to take care of those guys. So yeah, for anybody listening, if you've, if you've got the opportunity to buy your military time and you're young in your career, jump on it. Absolutely. Because it definitely goes up in cost just astronomically yes. as, you get clo- as you get older in age and longer in your career. It's based on your current pay. Uh, they put it through some cool equation, math equation, and then they, they charge you the, the final amount. Uh, but uh, if, you're, yeah, if you're listening and you're thinking about, oh, should I do this or not? If you're a single guy or if you don't have kids yet, hold off on buying the boat or the RV and go buy that. It will pay off in the end, especially now because, you know, retirements are, what is it, 2.75 at 55, 68 years yeah. old or something, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, so they're going to have to. These guys now, they're, you're going to have to do stuff like that. You're going to have to. So what prompted you to, to push out early? Great question. So... Um, I've been working for Peacekeeper products uh, since 2010. I've been a baton instructor for them. So I travel around for them and I certify and put on classes and I certify instructors in the baton, uh, which is great. So uh, they started picking up, getting a little more busy. And, and uh, I, I'm telling them no, because I, I can't get the time off. I'm already used up all my vacation and some of my sick and I'm comping time. I'm working overtime, but I'm competent so I can use comp time. And I want to do it because, you know, it's, that's what I want to do in retirement. Uh, and then I found, I found compliant technologies and the glove and, uh, and they said, oh, you should probably work for us. And I said, uh, I think that's a really good idea, but I already work. And, uh, and I said, well, maybe I should look at what that actually means, what the glove means, what it would mean to work more for peacekeeper. And, oh, maybe I should retire now. I'm, I'm old enough. I was already 50. So we sat down on our computer. You know, it's all all on the computer now. Yeah, plugged it all in and added four years. And I said, wow, that's not much of a difference. I'm pretty sure I can make a lot more than that working for peacekeeper and compliant technologies. So I pulled the pin. So let's take it back a little bit. You've, you've got a long history of defensive tactics yes. under your belt. When did your martial arts start? Uh, so, uh, 1995, uh, I was uh, I was sent to CRDF, right? Uh, the uh, the te- detention center in Linwood, and uh, you know how they your TOs back then they're very good at taking care of you. I didn't see them for the first couple of days. I'm in a direct supervision pod. You know, I got uh, Flores, the inmate, who's the house mouse. He's telling me what to do. You got to fill out the book right here. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, and then I think uh, the third day, Jared Jensen. Walks in, looks around, and he, he said, you a Marine? Uh, sir, yes, sir. He goes, uh, you do any martial arts? 
No, sir. Throws the car down to show up here tomorrow morning, eight o'clock. Okay. <laughs> so, so I go to Santa Ana, go to Santa Ana. There's a little hole in the wall place. Windows are blacked out. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Open Am I going to die? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Open the door and here's this little Hispanic dude, pot belly, skinny arms and a blonde female. And they're wearing pajamas. And I said, yeah, <laughs> all right. I'm not sure what this is, but I, I guess I'm going to try it. And the blonde female kicked my ass for an hour. And I said, wow. I don't know what's going on here, but y'all need to teach me something. They laughed a lot. I think, uh, I think the black belt, I think he peed a little bit laughing so hard at me, but, uh, finally they started teaching me. So I've been, uh, I've been uh, training jujitsu on and off since 95. And from that, did you want to get into defensive tactics or is it kind of one yes. of those things where you're kind of like a strong arm voluntold? No, no, actually. Uh, so I worked for a guy named Bill Reese at, uh, at the, uh, at the jail and he was pretty close to retirement, a few years out from retirement. And he sat down. Uh, with some of us and he said, Hey, look, boys, y'all need to figure out what path you're going to take in the sheriff's department. Don't go willy nilly and just, you know, think you're going to do whatever because you won't do anything. Uh, so if you're going to be a patrol dog, you're going to be a patrol dog. That's cool, man. That's, that's LA County Sheriff's, you know, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very cool thing to your whole career is patrol and, and uh, lots of guys retire there and they're, they're legends. You know, we need those guys. We need that experience. Uh, but at any rate, he said, pick your thing, start working on it now, because when it's time for you to be that, you'll be ready for it. Oh, okay, cool. I said, well, I like training. I like, uh, I like, beating people up. I like getting beat up. Um, maybe I should do DT. Uh, so, uh, I told him, I want to be a DT instructor. He said, all right. He sent me to DT school. So it's four weeks and, uh, you get your ass kicked for four weeks. Well, it's actually a week of ass kicking. You go, you go back to your station for a week and then back and forth, right? They give you a week to heal up before the next group of instructors (laughs) beat your ass. At any rate, I didn't really learn, didn't really learn how to teach anybody, but uh, I learned I could get an ass beaten for sure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I was the gold star winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had two, I had lots of gold stars. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was interesting. You know, like, uh, like one week is like, all right, this week you're with the boxing team. Oh no. <laughs> you know, they, they whooped our ass every day. They whooped our ass. Uh, but it was good. It was good experience. You know, as a young guy, fresh out of the Marine Corps, uh, it was a good experience for me. And, and I'm, and I'm sure Bill was right. It shaped who I am. Uh, and then, uh, and then I got, I got hired by RSO kind of fast forward 2005. Um, and I worked towards going to get into the Academy. You know, that's, that's what I told people I wanted to do. And, uh, and in 2008, I became a DT instructor at our Academy. Going way back real quick. When you went through LASO, were they still boxing in the Academy? Yes. Okay, because I know it, it kind of went away, and then it came back, and then it went away, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. So the the jiu-jitsu aspect of it was being done on your own, and then you started doing DT. Um, I'm kind of jumping forward and backwards at the same time, because obviously right now today, jiu-jitsu is getting a lot of popularity. It's getting pushed a lot. It, right. it really is. I think it, it, it's good to see agencies really adopting the principles of it, but Back then, were was it a struggle to get jujitsu adopted, or were they looking more for a stand-up game at that time? Yeah, I, I think it was mostly a stand-up game, which is, in my mind, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because, uh, you know, what do, what do we teach? We teach takedowns, right? Armbar takedown, this takedown, that takedown, two-man takedown. Well, wait a minute, we're going to the ground. We should probably know how to do what on the ground? Well, fight and control somebody, right? But, you know, we weren't. And actually... 
even when I went through the academy and uh, when I went through DT school, there was some ground fighting involved. There was a small portion. We did a little bit, not on the scale it is now, but we actually did a small bit of ground fighting. And even our DT school, we, we were doing some ground fighting. And so as you got later into your career, did you find that the the adoption of jujitsu and ground fighting easily grew or was it still a, a fight for most people? Yeah, it's still a, no it's, pun still intended. a it's still it's it is it's tough. Uh, even, even today, uh, you know, we have RSO has uh, uh, ground fighting. Uh, they have an advanced officers course. And then, of course, you have ground fighting in the academy. And it's tough because, uh, you know, they don't want to injure people. Right. Any training, any training where you have uh, one-on-one sparring, they have, a, you know, your administrators have a tough time approving that because, you know, you're going to injure people. Well, yeah, that's training's going to injure people. I don't care what you do. Uh, you can stand behind a bench and, you know, slow fire guns. Somebody's going to get injured. Right. Right. It's going to happen. That's just all there is to it. They just have to accept it and, and roll with it. <laughs> Again, no pun. Um, did you find, though, that the more younger guys you, you were training near the end? Because at the end of your career, were you full-time DT? Uh, not at the end of my career. I worked uh, DT from 2008 to 2013. Okay. As you were getting later in it, were you finding that more guys were learning what you were teaching and then embracing it and going to train more oh, on yeah. their own? Yeah, lots of guys. How do we keep how do we keep that going? And I say we rhetorically, uh, when I look at law enforcement, what advice do you have for somebody to keep that going or at least getting involved in it? Show, show people, show people what it is, man. Show them how it applies to our job. Right. Uh, you know, you can't just say, oh, this thing's cool. You got to you got to, you know, it's for you. You should do it. Uh, okay, great. But we're not like that, right? We don't, we don't see an infomercial on TV, most of us and go, Oh man, let me, let me get that right away. I, I need that. They said so. Yeah. Most of us, we don't believe that stuff, right? It's our personality. We don't believe most of the junk that's in front of us. Uh, so, uh, seeing is believing, feeling is believing, right? Uh, you know, if you use some jujitsu in a fight, you know, to control somebody, uh, go, Hey man, did you see that? I learned that in jujitsu class, right? So, Show people, show people what it is, right? Uh, one of the things I did uh, after I went to DT school uh, was we had we had a huge guy and super nice guy, nicest guy I worked with, uh, and but he was a bodybuilder and he's like six foot something, so they actually gave me a mat room at uh, at CRDF and we trained all the time. We did everything from handcuffing, takedowns, jujitsu, you name it. And this guy, he he was giving me the uh, that ground fighting pajama thing. I'm like, cool, dude, cool. Okay, check it out. You're an inmate, all right? And we took you to the ground, all right? I'm going to hold you to the ground, and you won't be able to stand up. <laughs> There's no way. I'm like, man, come on. You're six foot three. You got to be like 285 pounds. Oh, okay, John, go ahead. Get on all force, man. Just get on all force, and you just stand up from there. And he couldn't get up, right? All I did was just you know, control his limbs and his, and his hips, right? He could not get up 30 seconds. He said, that's it. I'm done. Okay. Teach me some stuff. Aha. Uh-huh, there you go. So we have to, we have to show them. We have to make them believers, right? By, by showing it to them. I think, I think that's the biggest thing is it. And when I say again, we, we've got to show it to them when they're young, because you get that guy who's 15, 20 years in, we all are that way. We get set in our ways and it's harder to teach the old dog new tricks. Yeah, right. Especially when they show up at the mat room with jeans and the newspaper and their coffee. <laughs> you're like, uh, it's not going to last. You're going to be out here on the mat in your jeans. Yep. And But if we can get them when they're young and not just in the academy, but really embrace it when they come out, I think that's, the, that's where the big 
turn's got to happen. And I do see agencies going that way now. I, I do see a lot more of them, you know, embracing it. But I think that that's going to be the momentum that keeps it going. Absolutely. I think there's a nationwide push for something, something other than what we're doing. And, and unfortunately, you know, I get to see different agencies all, all around the, the country. And, uh, and, you know, some agencies, they're, they're literally, they're in, they're in the, you know, 50s. Uh, their training is from the 50s. Their gear is from the 50s. They really, you know, they need help. And it's not because they're ignorant or they don't want to do it. It's, uh, you know, they don't have the manpower. They don't have the money. They don't have the time for it. You know, uh, you've got uh, South Carolina. I forget what the, the city was, but there's there's an agency and they have like, I don't know, five guys or something in the chief. And uh, so at night, there's one guy working, one guy on patrol. Uh, and he went, he got a call in the neighborhood and they, they, beat his ass for like 30 minutes, took everything off him, took his belt, his gun, it took it. I mean, how embarrassing is that to be a cop like that? And, and really his training probably, you know, he's probably got minimal training, right? That small agency, he probably lucky if he even went to an academy. Uh, and uh, those guys need help. You know, how do we help that guy? Were you doing or are you doing defensive tactics training with the company you're with now, or is it just marketing of equipment? Uh, so peacekeeper is baton only. And, uh, uh, we'll, we make baton instructors. Uh, so it's all about swinging the baton, making the baton happen. Right. Uh, however, this company is a little different. Uh, we do some defensive tactics with it. And typically, uh, we lay, we lay the glove on top of whatever physical tactics, uh, that the agency currently uses. And if they don't have a lot of tactics, then, uh, we run them through the standard, armbar takedown, rear wrist lock with the glove, of course, you know, this is a force multiplier. So you do that armbar takedown and you have a glove, you know, and you supply some electricity to that skin. Uh, they're going to, they're going to move for you. I don't care how big they are, how tough or, or anything. They're going to absolutely move for you. So for those not watching on YouTube, you've been referencing a couple pairs of gloves that we got here. So tell me about the company again, that makes them compliance technologies. Uh, this company was made by uh, Jeff Nicholas. Uh, he's a uh, retired Army helicopter pilot, uh, kind of famous. Uh, you see the movie Black Hawk Down? Mm -hmm. uh, the second helicopter. Okay. Super 6-4, he was the pilot. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're all veterans, uh, veterans and retired police officers, current police officers uh, that work for Compliant Technologies. Uh, he put his bunch of, I mean, he doesn't have to. He could literally retire and you know, stay in Kentucky on his ranch and do his thing, right? But he spent a ton of money, I don't know how much, but a ton to develop this technology in the glove and put it together. Uh, so uh, what he has done it for is not to make millions because really the margin's pretty slim on what what these cost to make and what we sell them for. Uh, and uh, he did it to help law enforcement. It's, it's about helping law enforcement, helping that guy in South Carolina, right? Would these gloves have made a difference? Maybe. Maybe they would have. I don't know. Maybe they would. Uh, it depends. You know, we can't, you know, you Monday morning quarterback anything and, you know, oh, I could have done it better this way, but we're not going to do that. Uh, but these gloves have made a difference in a lot of lives, in a lot of agencies. Uh, there are agencies that, uh, uh, well, actually, there's a hospital. I believe it's, um, what's the city? South Carolina. I forget the name of the city. It's a mental health hospital. They have private security. Uh, and it was... Uh, they're losing guys because it's a fight every day. They go in there and they fight people all day long. Imagine doing that as a security guard, right? You, how long would you do it? It would get old no matter who yeah, you are. Yeah, a couple just, of weeks and you're, you're out. You're looking yeah. for another job, right? So we introduced our glove. Uh, they had, I think, four activations total, and there's no more fights. They don't want anything to do with the gloves. So, so the word got out real quick with the, the patients. Yep. Hey, they've now got this tool. Yep. 
And so the glove is a combination of a stun gun-esque type. Yeah, a lot of people go, oh, where's a taser? It's not It's not a taser, right? Taser's a name brand of a device that shoots darts out and electrocutes people, right? The electricity goes from dart to dart. Uh, this is uh, not like that. The only thing that's similar is it uses electricity. So there's a 3.7 volt lithium ion battery. It's rechargeable. You plug it into the wall like a cell phone to charge it. Uh, here's your electrodes right here. Uh, these electrodes uh, are what deliver the electricity. When you turn it on, in the, are, pal- in the palm or the the of, of the hand is where the electrodes are. Yeah, yeah. These these spots here, the, those are your electrodes. So uh, when you turn it on, they're hot, right? So you know if you pull wires out of your wall and you flip the breaker on, those wires are hot. Well, you turn this glove on, these are hot. So if you touch skin, you're going to feel the electricity. The beauty of it is it's very very low voltage. It's 0.04 watts, right? Watts like your your light bulb, 60 watts, right? We're talking 0.04. So it doesn't injure people, right? It doesn't. The electricity doesn't go inside your body. It's not going to grab your heart. It's not going to grab your brain. Uh, we're dealing with uh, peripheral nerves, right, on the surface of the skin. And it's just enough electricity to change what's going on in your frontal lobe, right? Your frontal lobe, that's what's making you fight, escape, run away, not comply, right? So we add this to your skin. You feel it. Your frontal lobe uh, has a reaction of, I don't know what to do with it, right, and overload. Uh, so then we're able to control you. And oddly enough, how long will it last? You talk about it's battery operated. So once it's on, it's always hot. hot. Yep. Um, but the beauty of it is I can grab I can grab over your shirt. I can handcuff you. You won't feel the electricity. So as long as there's clothing in between it, all of a sudden it, it's, I don't want to say it's no longer effective, it's but you're not feeling it. Not enough power to go through your shirt. Or if, if you had hair, I could even touch the top of your head, but neither of us have hair. So we won't do that one. <laughs> yeah, we're not touching the top of my head. I've been shocked enough times in my career. Now, what's the difference between the two styles of glove? Because this one actually here has the yeah, so, carbon fiber on the knuckles. So, we, so we, make a, we make a lot of different styles. So this glove is like the, the normal glove. Oh, and uh, this is the SD version. We call it the SD. It actually tracks your on-skin, off-skin activation time. So, so, you know, you have any allegations of misconduct, we can plug this into the computer. It downloads as a Word document, and we know exactly what was going on. Right. Uh, so we just make different styles. You know, this would probably be for like a maybe a cell extraction team or or a right team, something like that. Right. We've got the knuckle protection. Uh, the palm is actually Kevlar. Right. So you're not going to get cut. That would be something you'd wear for a cell extraction, right control, some stuff like that. So even though it looks more, I don't know, loosely use the word ominous, it's more giving you the, the user some more knuckle protection. But the the electronic component is, is the, the same. same. The same, yeah. And we make, we also make uh, an armband and a vest uh, with the same technology, but it's a remote control. So uh, that would be for, you know, you've got uh, uh, someone in court, you know, they always want them uncuffed. You have someone in court that's, uh, you know, a high threat, high threat level, and you want to be able to control them. You'll put the vest underneath his, uh, underneath his shirt and uh, hold on to that remote. You can deliver a little electricity and change what he's doing. Now, somebody buys this from your company. Are you also providing them with training? Yes, absolutely. We have three levels of training. Obviously, level one is just your basic. This is the gloves, how it works, and this is how we apply it to your skin. Level two is a little more intense. We start bringing your your physical tactics in uh, and put the glove on top of it and help you develop skin is, is uh, uh, our level two, right? So you're wearing, you know, long pants and long sleeve, and if you had a hoodie on, right, all we would have is your hands. Not really. It's not hard for us to develop skin for us to grab, uh, especially if you're already, you know, 
doing a, you know, you, you name it, rear wrist lock or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to handcuff somebody. And, and then level three is, is all out. We'll teach you how to uh, extract from a car, extract from an airplane seat, uh, from a bus, you, you name it. It's over the top, eight hours of nonstop uh, grabbing each other with the glove. <laughs> and the beauty of it is we can grab each other, right? Because this doesn't even leave a red mark on your skin. It doesn't injure people, right? What other use of force do we have that doesn't injure people? Command presence. We don't have one. <laughs> we don't have one. That's the one we have. Yeah. Um, now, as far as the company itself, so you're the West Coast representative, but yes. you mentioned going to South Carolina. So does are you part of like a training team? What I'm getting at is for somebody looking to come on board this company from your aspect as an employee, how much time are you spending on the road? Oh, so uh, because I have Montana and I went to Montana, so quite a bit, actually. Uh, they got you back to Montana. I could probably spend a ton more. <laughs> Montana was really good. Uh, you know, you know, we have trade shows. You've been to uh, Trexpo, Cops West, all that. Trade shows like that. So typically we'll go to a trade show and set up. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's, where you, that's where you put the miles on. You know, there's one show in Montana that was a, you got to go. And, and they, were, they were not kidding. It, it, sold, it sold the glove. It, did, it was a great show. What was the motivation for, I know you mentioned the owner being former army and, and a helicopter pilot. What was his connection to law enforcement and wanting to give back? You know, he's, he, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I know he loves law enforcement and he is absolutely 100% on board with helping out law enforcement as much as he can. Going back, know, maybe, maybe it's just a conviction that he has. I'm not, I'm not sure. Going back to you personally, any, any regrets shutting down earlier than you thought you would? No. No, life's good for you. You made a good, made yeah, the decision was yeah. good for you. <laughs> yeah. My wife was a little upset. She was, cause she's still working. Are you so. going to be home all the time now? <laughs> <laughs> she was mad that I retired before. Um, if somebody's interested in getting into this company, do they have to be already a defensive tactics instructor? Um, no, not necessarily. We have, we have people who don't do any of the instruction. Uh, we have a instruction team. We have a team that'll come out and do all of your training for you. Uh, so you don't have to do that, <clears throat> but, uh, uh, I mean, you do have to be former military law enforcement, something like that. Can, a, an agency, if they're interested in the glove, get you to come out for a demonstration? Absolutely. Now, not necessarily you. Will it be a regional representative or? Well, it depends on where they're at. But if they're California, Oregon, Washington, <clears throat> Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, then call me. And what's the best way to get in touch with you for this? Uh, my email is roger dot the letter R, the number one dot O-W-E-N at Gmail. And I'll put all of this in the show notes. And you can also go to our website, compliantechnologies.net. Uh, and if you're interested there, there's a spot where you can put your contact information in wherever you're at. And uh, they'll hook you up with the guy that, uh, or the person that's in your area. Other than that, the only other thing was, what's the cost on these two? Uh, that's a great question. So obviously this one's a little more expensive, only by a couple hundred bucks, but... That the one with the, the knuckle protection and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's Kevlar and stuff in there, so it's a little oh, more okay. expensive. It's only, I think it's, these are like $200 more than, than these. And these are about 1500, right? And that's about the third of the price of taser. And there's no additional cost here. 
uh, you buy the agency buys the gloves. They they get their training. They pay for their training, uh, and uh, that's it. You don't have to buy extra batteries. There's no battery bank. There's no cartridges to put in. There's no training cartridges. You buy the gloves. You got them. They're yours. They come with a one year warranty. Uh, we can also do a six year warranty contract. Uh, some agencies go for that because you know they want to make sure their gear is going to last. So, do the gloves come in different sizes? They do. Small through double X. So if you've got if. You, I mean, an agency may not necessarily be able to outfit every officer, but if they bought a couple different sizes that might work yep. for a variety of people. Yes. Are you still competing as far as jujitsu? Uh, it's been a while since I competed. Travel and kind of, you know, drink a beer, eating steak, kind of puts a weight on you. So <laughs> you're still getting the chance to, to train as much oh, as yeah. you would like to? When I'm home, I go, I open in the morning at 830. I open the gym at 830 and we have some rolls and then uh, I'll uh, roll again at night at six and and as much as I can. So I think for the last three weeks now, I've been home. I was in Cleveland, I forget, I don't know, three weeks ago. But when I'm I sorry. came back, I've been. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Funny story about Cleveland. Did you know that the Christmas story house is there? Yes. Yeah, I went and visited it. I did that. I did the what to do in Cleveland. <laughs> Do I remember correctly? Do they have the lamp still in the window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Bumpus house is next door. Um, as far as for you and, and somebody who might be doing jujitsu right now, now obviously your work is still keeping you connected to defensive tactics. But do you think if you weren't doing it, would you have stayed with jujitsu even after your retirement? Absolutely. So, so I've worked for several sergeants. Uh, that they retire and, oh, man, I can't wait to sit on the couch and on my hunting line. Bill Reese, as a matter of fact, was one of them. He bought uh, like a thousand acres out in Ohio where he's from. Uh, got to put, put his, you know, hunting lodge out there, his, his house, you know, built a house. Uh, I think he, re- he retired and uh, was six to eight months later, he died. Another guy I worked with, RSO, uh, great guy, SWAT commander. Everybody knew. Great dude. He retired. He didn't make 30 days. He didn't get his first check before he died. Wow. And, and, and his plan was, I'm going to do nothing. That's not a retirement plan, though. <laughs> okay, I, don't, it, I, don't, I don't know why people think that that's a viable no, retirement plan. It's not. You got to do something. And the sooner you set it up, whatever that something is, I mean, you don't have to go to work, but you got to do something. You can't just go, yeah, I'm going to sit on the couch for my first six months. Dude, we're going to be at your funeral. Don't do it. You got you to do something. Something is got to be got to be something you're doing a lot of. Which what's long term for you? you? You see yourself staying in the the business field? Oh yeah, much longer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give this twenty thirty years. Oh wow, absolutely. I'm a young guy. I'm only fifty one. You're younger than me, so <laughs> good on you. Any last little bit of advice for anybody who's looking to make that transition out? Wants to go to a company like this? Or anything from the your experience? Best, the best thing you can do is start early, right? I was lucky. I came across Peacekeeper in 2010, and, uh, and I started teaching part-time for him, which that's, that was perfect. That's what I needed. Uh, and that was, my, that was my goal. Once I, once I became a DT instructor, uh, and I, I came to RSO, and, and, and I said, man, I need, to, I need to set something up for retirement because I don't want to retire and go, oh, now, gee, what do I do? Uh, I wanted to have it already going. And So you were thinking about it 10 years prior. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I never, I never even once thought like I'm going to retire and just go fishing in Montana. Did you have that in yourself or did you have somebody in your ear early in your career kind of giving you advice? You know, I, I'd like to say I did. I'm sure it came to me somehow, uh, but I don't remember. 
Uh, maybe it was just because I worked for guys who they'd retire and do nothing and die. You know, that's that's motivation enough right there. Hey, for whatever reason, you know, the fact that you were thinking about it that far in advance, it, that's the whole point of why I want to do this pod, or doing this podcast is your retirement or your transition or whatever you want to call it may be down the road, but be thinking about what your options are today. Because if tomorrow your hand gets forced, right. at least you were thinking about it. How many guys do you know, you know, they get in a car crash or they get hurt and then the, their, their agency goes, Oh, you're done. Yeah. And they go, how, what am I going to do? I can't live on 50% of my pay. Well, well that sucks, man. Now you're going to spend time trying to figure out what to do. And that's the thing is there's a lot of injuries that we can get in this job that they prevent us from being able to continue in our law enforcement career, or even on the military side, yep. but it doesn't debilitate your ability to live your life. Right. You know, and so you got to have something in your game plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to have a plan B, right? Don't we train that? If you go to the range, right? What do they tell you? Oh, you got to have plan B. Oh, you come to my mat room. I, oh, you got a plan B. Oh, hey, it's your career. You better have a plan B. But nobody ever talks about that no. to us yeah, right. about what's your plan B. You know, one of the things I always mention is I think one of the good things about the military is, for the most part, they make you reevaluate your career every four to six years. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay with us or do you want to get out? Yeah. Law enforcement, you sign on that dotted line and it's expected 25, 30 years. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you when you get to that end. Yep. And there's never any talk in between of what are you going to do afterwards? Well, if you got a good supervisor when he's doing your ER, you, you might. But most of them, you know, they're so busy now that, you know, they're, you're lucky to get your ER on time. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I appreciate your time. I Absolutely. Hopefully people will reach out to you for these gloves. I, I think that it definitely wanna, seems like. You don't want to feel it? I don't want to try hey, it. Feelings believing. I don't want to try it. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, jump on uh, Instagram. It's the glove five, seven. And I've got a bunch of videos on there of, uh, uh, me doing different stuff with the glove and, uh, it's demonstrating it at, at a show. And I actually have a purple belt from my gym, young 23 year old kid. He, uh, I gave him a, gave him a little zap on the arm and he fell down. He goes, ah, I think I can fight through that. And I said, yes, you can. <laughs> so we set up, uh, we set up a whole bunch of, uh, scenarios. Uh, one was an ambush where I'm searching a guy and I've got the gloves on. They're not powered on it. He just jumps on my back and takes my neck. It didn't work out for him. But he did get a steak dinner out of it. Or actually, I think I bought him sushi. Anyway, he got dinner out of it. Something that just came to mind with you talking about that. Um, if they're excessively sweaty, does it impact it positive? And I'm not trying to use the positive negative thing, but does it impact it positively or negatively if the skin's really sweaty? Well, you know about electricity and water and, and moisture, right? Yeah, you're going to feel it a lot more. Okay. The beauty of it is I can turn this glove on. You could grab right here on my arm and I could grab right next to your hand and you wouldn't feel it. So it doesn't transfer? Nope, because your electrodes are right here. So your electricity bounces back and forth on the surface of your skin right here, right? It's just going gonna, gonna to travel the, the easiest path it can, and it's right here on the surface of your skin. And how long has this company been in existence? Or how long have the gloves been in existence? So uh, the company's been around, I think it's about four years now, right? But COVID years, so that was about two and a half, right? I think he, he started right before COVID hit, uh, so he kind of got screwed the first couple of years. Uh, and I came across them, um, yeah, like a year ago, a little, little over a year ago. Uh, and uh, he was full force forward. He had nobody out here on the West Coast. And I said, man, there's a lot of agencies out there you guys need to talk to. Um, it's funny, I was at a show for Peacekeeper, a SWAT show in Ohio. And I'm walking to the bathroom and I see all these big SWAT guys. And they're crowding around, laughing and hooting and hollering. I take a look and here's Jeff. You know, he's an older guy. Cowboy boots, jeans, 
got his shirt rolled up. He's got these gloves. He's grabbing these guys and they're falling down. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I watch him. You know, SWAT guys, you grab one, he falls down. Let me try guys. Let me get in there. (laughs) So he does like 20 SWAT guys and they all fall down. I was like, man. And he, you know, Jeff's not law enforcement. So he's not doing our bar takedown. He's, he's just grabbing them. They're, ah, and they're falling down. Like, man, what in the world? So they leave and he looks at me. Well, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. What is that? Thing? I've never seen it before. <laughs> so he tells me, and I said, man, that's amazing. I go, it must work. Here, grab me. And I fell down. I said, well, holy cow. Uh, where are you from? Do you have anybody in California? Uh, so we had dinner and that was it. Very cool. That was it. But anyway, uh, four years, uh, been around four years. The technology was developed by a Chinese monk. Uh, He's an electrical engineer, and he came up with the microprocessor that delivers the electricity the way it does. And that is why your brain, your frontal lobe kind of goes on overload. Every I've been grabbed, got to be like 100 times. And every time I'm grabbed, this is the one I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight through it. You can't. Your frontal lobe shuts off. It just shuts off. And the videos on Instagram and YouTube also show the effectiveness of the gloves. Yes, yes. It's when you see it when you see it in action, you go, "Oh, there's no way that can't be real. It's got to be an actor. They're acting." Hey, that's what you think. Hey, ring me up. Come on over. I'll grab you, and we'll see. <laughs> well, it looks like a. It definitely looks like a, a a viable tool, and especially today's law enforcement. You know, um, I'll use the the loose analogy of it doesn't look invasive. Oh, that's it, right? When, Optics when, are everything right when now. When you're deploying it. You know, you've got officers who, who uh, you know, they they, uh, they get in trouble. They get get fired. We've got officers who get fired, you know, because they use force and they, maybe they were justified. But, you know, public opinion is, ooh, that's bad. We don't like that. And so, you know, the, the agency does the politically correct thing and fires the guy. Oh, look, we fired him. That bad guy won't do that again, you know? Well, yeah, this looks like we're grabbing you and you fall down doesn't look like anything yeah so we're in cdc uh all their transports have our devices um we uh i've got uh, uh montana uh there's flathead county sheriffs that's where i grew up the sheriff's department i grew up uh, i've got uh, five more invoices out up there uh, uh riverside sheriffs is uh moments away from purchase i have a meeting with them this week uh uh to uh to help write their policy and procedure with them uh, I've already done the sheriff's interview and all that, so RSO is going to be on board. Um, I've got uh, Beverly Hills and Santa Monica PD. They're both uh, looking at purchasing. Uh, they have an invoice. They're they're just going through the process of of uh, making it happen. Any last words of advice or? Yeah, you know, uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're brand new and you got five years on, uh, those old guys that tell you you better start thinking about retirement, they're right. They're not kidding. Uh, I said, <laughs> I got forever. <laughs> it goes so quick. It does. Yeah. You're like, I, I've been on two years. I don't know, retirement. That's, that's, I'll never be that old. Yeah, you will be. And it'll be tomorrow. Yep. Right. Max your <laughs> deferred comp. Get, get used to not having that money. Yep. And uh, prepare for your retirement. Heck yeah. Think about your plan B. I've already said thank you once, but thank you again. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You have a good rest of your day. Thank you, sir. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. 
please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcast and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.